Well, thank you, Marielle, so much for reading for us. Uh, I feel immensely privileged to be able to stand here today and unpack God's word with us all. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, It's basically a passage about free food, which is something I'm very passionate about. So when Rowan asked me if I could preach from this, I couldn't say no. But we're definitely going to need God's God's help today uh, to understand what his word has to say to us. So let's pray. Lord, I really ask for your Holy Spirit uh, to fill us today. Uh, Would you help us to understand what your word has to say to us? I do pray that we would see that your word is ultimately satisfying and brings a satisfying salvation for us all, and that we would respond in faith and trusting in you. Amen. Well, it actually amazes me how easily I can become dissatisfied. So just recently, I started to notice that my iPhone was kind of starting to play up. It was getting a bit laggy, a bit glitchy. It wasn't opening what I wanted it to do. And when this happens to me, I get a bit excited because I think, oh, maybe, maybe I'm getting a new phone soon. So I was thinking, maybe I'll, I'll go and get a new phone. But my friends told me, a lot of my friends told me, no, 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 you've got to wait because next week, Apple's doing an announcement. So there are going to be some new things on offer. So I decided to wake up. I don't normally do this, but I decided to wake up and watch the Apple announcement. Now, I don't know... Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm fully indoctrinated yet into Apple. Like, I'm still holding on to my Windows PC for dear life, trying not to get brainwashed. But if you've ever seen their announcements, they're really good at making you want to buy their products or think you need to buy their products. So halfway through the announcement was the moment that I'd been waiting for, the brand new iPhone, the iPhone 11. The crowd gasps as a picture comes on the screen, and it has, then they go through all the features, right? So it has the fastest chip ever in a smartphone. It has the longest battery life ever. It's going to be water resistant. It has like night mode. You can even take slow motion selfies if you blow drying your hair and send it to your friends. (laughs) And of course, probably the main, one of the biggest selling points was that it has not one, but two cameras. Two cameras on the back of the phone. So you can't, it's not just normal photos you can take, but you can take wide-angle shots as well. So Annalisa and I are watching this, and we're like, man, this is pretty cool. You know, it could be pretty satisfying having our iPhones last the entire day and, and not need to charge. It could be quite satisfying to be able to take 4K resolution videos and to be able to take photos that give our other friends camera envy. So for that moment, our hearts were quite captivated by the idea of this iPhone 11 of having maybe the best smartphone on the market, or the best iPhone on the market. But then, something interesting happened in the next three seconds. Because you see, the next announcement was the iPhone 11 Pro. (laughs) The crowd gasps again. It's an unprecedented leap in battery life. It has a mind-blowing chip and pushes the boundaries of what a smartphone can do. This is from their website. And of course, it doesn't only have two cameras on the back. No, the iPhone 11 Pro has three cameras. You can see a photo of it. I think it looks a little bit like one of those shaver heads. They should maybe make an eye shave attachment for it. But all of a sudden, the idea of the iPhone 11 just wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't as appealing anymore because it was not anymore the best iPhone on the market. There was something better. 
And it reminded me of just how quickly things can lose their shine, and how something that I thought would satisfy me has, I've now become dissatisfied with. And it begs the question, is there anything in this life that doesn't lose its shine? Or that is going to be truly satisfying for us? Well, I think that the book of Isaiah has these answers. So we've been making our way through the prophet Isaiah, and today we're going to see that God's word is what brings satisfying salvation. So that's where we're heading. But first, maybe just to recap a little bit of the story thus far. So the section we're in in Isaiah at the moment, from chapters 40 onwards, it's actually it's kind of written, it sounds like it's written to people post-exile. So remember, uh, Israel, they were exiled to Babylon, uh, kind of as a punishment from God. But God never forgets his people, and we hear of this other king, the king, king Cyrus, who would actually defeat Babylon and allow the Israelites to return home. But even after that, Israel, they, they, they seem to still be de- described as this deaf and blind servant who is not wholeheartedly following God. But God still doesn't forget about them. In fact, he starts to do something new. We hear this new voice start to emerge from the narrative, the voice of a servant, one who is sometimes referred to as Israel, but is also said as going to save Israel. This servant we've been speaking about for the last few weeks, the servant would come and bring a light to the nations. And honestly, once we get past this section in the narrative, like everything changes. Like we kind of reach kind of like the high points of Isaiah. It's like it's like it's a big party, a big celebration because of what the servant has done. Have a look at this verse in Isaiah 54, 7. God says, I deserted you for a moment for a brief moment, but I will take you back with abundant compassion. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but I will have compassion on you with everlasting love says the Lord, your Redeemer. It's amazing to think, in light of all of the the judgment uh, that we've heard about in the prior chapters, that all of this seems like just a moment to God in comparison to the abundant compassion that's going to be on offer. So for Israel, of course, they're looking forward to this day when the servant might come and, and redeem them. But for us, we can actually look back and see that this has already happened. So last week, uh, Ming helped us look at a whole multitude of New Testament passages that show that Jesus 100% satisfies and fulfills all of these prophecies. And this, this brings us to Isaiah 55, where we see that his work for us brings free satisfaction. That's the first point if you're, if you're tracking along in the outline. So let's have a look at Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 2. should be on the screen. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. 
Isn't this passage awesome? Anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is hungry, is called to come, to, to eat, to drink, without, without paying for it. And this passage is highlighting just a fundamental truth, that free food is a great motivator. So I work in student ministry, so I know very well just the influence that free stuff can have over people. I also get to reap these benefits too, because people still think I'm a student, so I just got free Red Bull on Friday. But if something's free, you can't say no, right? But what Isaiah is talking about in this passage, it's not actually just cheap freebies for students. You know, this is not just like your $5 kind of uh, Hawaiian pizzas from Domino's at a welcome event. We're actually talking about, look at verse 2, we're talking about the choicest of foods. So this is good stuff on offer. And this actually reminds me of one of the greatest wedding gifts I received. So my, the greatest wedding gift I received was from my dad, actually. So he gave Annalisa and I a cow. So don't worry, this isn't like a dowry situation or anything like that. But my dad's a farmer, and he gave us a cow, and he set us up for like one of the best years of meat consumption in my life. So we get this big chest freezer, and it's full of just the most amazing like sausages and mince and schnitzel and rump steak and sirloin and scotch fillet, eye fillet. To the br- I'm sorry if you haven't eaten today. This could be a hard, hard message. But, man, this was one of the most amazing gifts. And it was so amazing because it was free. We didn't have to pay for this stuff, right? Like, you can go to a restaurant and get a, an amazing steak. But, of course, at the end of it, you have, to, you have to front the bill, or someone does. But I think that if something is free, it just kind of automatically tastes better <laughs> if it was free. So what are these choice foods which are on offer here in this passage? Maybe you're here wondering, are we talking like literal, like amazing food? But I think this passage is actually pointing to something even better. As Lachlan said earlier, uh, even though all-you-can-eat buffet is going to be over by the following day, you're going to need to eat more food. What we see here um, is two things um, that we can get by coming to this satisfaction. It says that to listen to God is to actually find life itself. So that's the first point. We can come and find life. Have a look at verse 3. It says, Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindnesses of David. Now that's a big statement for someone to make, isn't it? Come to me so that you might live. It's like saying you're not living unless you're at this party, unless you come to this feast, unless you're listening to God. And I understand that that could be offensive to some people. How can someone else tell me how to live my life? But the reality is is that if God actually created all things, if he invented life, then he's the one that knows how it works. He's the one who can define what life is. And you see, back in the book of Genesis, death entered the world because of our rejection of that life. And we see in Isaiah, because of the work of this servant, that some of those curses are kind of being uh, drawn back or removed. We see a reversal. Because of the servant, 
We, the, the, those that are invited to this banquet are promised life according to God's covenant with David. Now, God's covenant with David was that he would uh, make a dwelling place for him and give him an everlasting kingdom to receive his blessing. And you actually see in some of the surrounding chapters as well, uh, hints to some of the other covenants. Just in, the, in, the, in 54, he mentions the covenant he made to Noah and how he will never again show anger to everyone on the face of the earth. There's also kind of references to the covenant that God made with Abraham, where a barren woman is told to sing, to rejoice, because she's going to have many offspring, and that we're going to have to enlarge the size of our tents. So you see, through this banquet, through this feast, we're starting to see a reversal of the death that entered the world. All of the Old Testament covenants and promises seem to be coming to fulfillment because of what this servant has done. And what do these covenants mean? They mean blessing, they mean steadfast love, they mean peace, comfort, and security. And it's not only Israel that's invited. If you see in the following chapter, in 56, we actually hear that salvation is also on offer for foreigners, non-Israelites, like myself and like some of us. We get invited to this party too. Because of the work of this servant, we receive life. That's the first thing. The other choice food on offer is that of forgiveness. Have a look at verse 7 with me. It says, Let the wicked one abandon his way, and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, so he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will freely forgive. This is just an amazing statement. When you think of the context of what Israel has done, and what they've been through, and how they've abandoned God, the fact he's willing to say he will have compassion on them, that he will bring them back, and that he will freely forgive. This is an amazing offer. And it actually applies to us too. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear the word wicked, I often don't like to think that that's me. You know, That's kind of like those other wicked people over there. We, and we like to think of ourselves as pretty good uh, in our own eyes. But I want to remind us of uh, the words of Isaiah 53, 6, one of the passages we looked at last week, which says, We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. So you might wonder, why does that actually matter? Like, why does it matter going my own way? Like, if I'm not hurting anyone, that should be fine, right? But you see, it's because of the God who created us. He created us for this covenant, this covenant of life, everlasting. And for us to say, nah, I think I can figure it out on my own, that's actually offensive to him. And this, but this offer of free forgiveness still came at a cost to God himself. But you see, God punishes the servant for the iniquity of us all. He took that punishment in our place. And now God is saying to come to this feast, to this banquet, to return to him, to receive life and to receive forgiveness. 
Man, when I hear this offer, I'm like, how could anyone say no? But when we look, there's an interesting question if you have a look in verse 2, where it says, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? You see, even though God's putting on offer salvation at no cost, for some reason, Israel keeps spending its labor, its money on that which is, is not food, on that which does not satisfy. And that brings us to our next point, which is costly dissatisfaction. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, if we'd been gifted so much good food, like, why would we start going for second best? Why would we start spending money on what's not actually satisfying? So if I've got my, my freezer full of amazing beef that I want to come back to, uh, if I've got this freezer full of amazing beef, I'm not going to go down to Countdown and go to the, like, the pre-cooked sausage section. You know, they say on them like may contain traces of meat and they're just they're not very good. And I've got this freezer full of like top quality stuff and it's for free. I don't need to pay for it. So I'm not going to go spend my money on what isn't even meat at all. But it seems that Israel was kind of spending their efforts on stuff that wasn't actually going to work, wasn't actually going to satisfy them. And we've heard of a bunch of those ways, haven't we? One of them is that. They were trying to trust other nations, have allegiances with other nations, in order to be saved. But they were never going to save Israel. Only God was. So I think the question for us today is, are we laboring at anything which actually doesn't satisfy? Maybe for us, we can also fall into the trap of trying to please others. Maybe we are laboring to please our parents or our boss, uh, or even church leaders, instead of laboring to please God. Another thing, of course, that Israel was quite guilty of was kind of fashioning these idols, starting to worship things that were created rather than worshiping God. So I wonder for us if we can get easily caught up in this very materialistic culture, right? We think maybe if I get that next thing, or I save up enough money for that, uh, then maybe I will be satisfied. Or another question I like to ask myself is, where do I find my refuge? Because to be honest, sometimes I try and find my refuge away from God instead of running to God. So sometimes after a long week, I'll kind of go into the weekend and be like, it's finally my time, you know? I, and I don't actually think to spend any time with God. I just want time on my own. And I'll usually go to all these other things and focus my attention on other things to find joy, to find happiness. And they're not necessarily bad things. Um, I love watching sport. Um, watching Japan beat Ireland was very satisfying last week. But I also love kind of reading or movies or eating out or sleeping. But I often find that if I fill my weekend with those sorts of things, sometimes, and if I don't kind of actually spend time to rest in God uh, and in his word, then I sometimes go back to work on Monday feeling dissatisfied or empty. It's interesting, instead of enjoying the free gift of satisfaction with no cost, we go after costly dissatisfaction. Another thing that our culture will sometimes put on a pedestal is also like 
overseas travel, right? Like experiences. And don't, don't get me wrong, I love the chance to be able to experience a new culture uh, and to find more about the places God has made. But if we're not actually satisfied before we go, like, it's not going to change anything. We need to be satisfied in God. So if we want to stop chasing after that which doesn't satisfy, what are we supposed to do? How do we actually get the salvation that's on offer? And there's two things that I pick out that this passage tells us to do. And the first one is to listen to God's word. So you'll notice throughout these kind of like calls to come to the banquet, um, a common phrase is actually to listen to me. Have a look again at verse 2 and 3. He says, look, listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. So the key thing here to finding satisfaction is actually listening to God. Because it's God's word that is going to bring satisfying salvation. Which brings up another question. Do we find God's word as ultimately satisfying? Because in order to, be, to not be swayed by the ways of the world and what they say is satisfying, we need to be looking at what God says. There was a sermon preached earlier this year, around New Year's, a guy called Paul Dale, and he compared um, coming to church sometimes as like Christians getting their one meal a week, and they come on a Sunday and they kind of stuff their faces, and then they hope that it's going to keep them going for the next seven days, and they go throughout the next seven days feeling famished, and don't actually make it a habit or priority to hear from God. Now, I, didn't actually, I wasn't actually here for that sermon. Ironically, I was on an overseas holiday um, during the sermon. Um, so Annalisa and I, we were, actually, so we were in Barcelona at this time, which was pretty awesome. And we were, we were having some good food there, I must say. But I heard that people from church were getting together to actually do a Bible in a year plan. Someone posted in the Facebook group, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. Uh, apparently, it only takes 15 minutes a day. And you can listen to the whole Bible in a year. So I was like, why not? So I decided on my holiday to start listening to this audio Bible. And it was actually, it was amazing. I remember I was sitting kind of at the waterfront um, in Barcelona and kind of just looking out um, at, at, into the ocean. I could see that we could see kind of like fish, kind of like swimming around in the harbour. Uh, there were birds around. And I was just listening to God's account of creation that day. And it was amazing. God was saying to me like, I made this. Like, I breathed this into existence. And for me, I realized, man, it's so great to actually be hearing from God as we're, as just as we're living and experiencing his creation. So that's one kind of helpful tip that, well, something I've found really helpful. I love to actually spend time with God, but get out into the open <laughs> or go out into his creation and enjoy it. And there's so many great places around Auckland that we can do that. But it really changed the holiday for me. There have definitely been times in my life where I've struggled to make this a priority. It amazes me how quickly I go back to feeling dissatisfied or I start to feel anxious. I start to not trust in God's promises. I start to look at other things for joy because I'm being deprived of that which ultimately brings life. 
And even in those down moments, I sometimes doubt if God's word is actually going to help. Is it actually going to be effective in helping me? Is it actually going to give me joy and satisfaction? I'm there more often than I'd like to be, but Isaiah 55.10 gives us great hope. This is what it says. Come and have a look with me. Isaiah 55.10, For just as rain and snow fall from heaven, and do not return there without saturating the earth, and making it germinate and sprout, and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty. But it will accomplish what I please, and will prosper in what I send it to do. So how do we know that God's word is going to help us? Or how do we know that when it rains, we're, we're going to get wet? Or how do we know that when it rains, uh, the ground is going to be watered? That's what Isaiah is saying to us here. God makes the rain fall from heaven and water the earth. And that's just a fact. It happens. God's word always accomplishes what he wants, what he purposes. So he can always be trusted. And this gives us great hope that his word will never return empty. It means that we can be confident that if we make this a priority in our lives, to actually be hearing from him, even if not every day we feel like, oh my goodness, that was amazing, I, my life has changed. But you know, if we make this a regular priority in our life, that we will be filled and that we will be satisfied because his word never returns empty. We can also be confident as if we share the gospel with somebody, if we try and tell others the news of Jesus. And maybe they don't respond how we might want them to. Uh, but we have to realize that that's actually okay because God's word is still purposing what he wants it to. It gives me great hope. But of course, as we listen to God's word, it often challenges us, doesn't it, to make some pretty big steps, to do things that don't make sense to the world uh, and don't make sense to how we would normally do things. And that's where we come to the second uh, point about how we receive, receive this satisfaction. First, we need to listen to God's word, and secondly, we have to abandon our own ways. Have a look with me at verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as, high, as, as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So are you guys struggling to, to believe that God's ways are better than yours? This passage is saying we need to trust that God's ways are the best. Maybe you're struggling to believe that God actually has what's satisfying for you. And it might cause you to seek after perhaps your own career or maybe even a relationship uh, in a way that's not honoring to God because you don't trust that he can really satisfy you in the long run. Maybe, sometimes I find it hard to be generous with my finances because I struggle to believe that God has got my back. If we want to be Christians who are willing to take bold decisions for Jesus, we need to be, it's going to require us giving up a part of ourselves, letting go of some of our own ways, our own thoughts, isn't it interesting how just after being told to come to this free banquet, like free choice food at no cost, that we still sometimes say no because we think we know better, because of our own ways, 
our own thoughts. And this passage also really highlights just, really, to become a Christian at all requires acknowledging that someone bigger than us knows much better than us. I mean, if you are here and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, maybe there are some good questions for you to ponder. What would you want from God before you followed him? Would you want all of his ways to make sense to you? Would you wait to make sure that all of his morals lined up with yours? Would you want to be able to understand everything the way that he does? Now, I'm definitely not saying to stop asking questions, but we also have to realize that if God is God, like he doesn't answer to us. We cannot understand all of his ways. He says, my thoughts are so much higher than yours. My ways are higher than yours, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So no matter how much we do learn about God, it's still going to take trust to follow him. We're not going to be able to comprehend all of his ways. In fact, there's this great chasm, right, between us and God, as high as the heavens are above the earth. But God has done so much to bridge that chasm for us. So look at what Jesus has done. He is the living proof that God exists. He came to this world and he died in our place and he rose again. And that's a fact. And he did that in accordance to all of these prophecies, these servant prophecies that were written hundreds of years beforehand. He, he was pierced because of our sin, punished for our iniquities. He crossed that chasm. It's kind of crazy, right? It almost doesn't make sense. Like, why would God put up with so much arrogance, both from Israel and also from ourselves, for chasing after satisfaction elsewhere? We've all incurred so much debt to him that we could never stand in his presence. But his ways are so much higher than our ways. And the servant stands up and says, I'll pay for it. (laughs) It's free. And you get invited to this amazing banquet, abundant pardon, amazing forgiveness, life for your soul. What more could we want? According to this passage, we have nothing to offer. We are poor. We are hungry. And what does a hungry person do when we're welcomed to a free banquet? Do you think they stand on the outside and continue to question Maybe who paid for this? What are his motives? How do I know this guy exists? And yeah, maybe you would for a time, but there's also a time There's also a time where you've just got to be like, you know what? I'm in. I'm coming to the feast. I'm coming to this love that's on offer. And if you're not yet there, um, then whenever you get to that point, you need to be able to say to Jesus, I'm sorry kind of for trusting in my own ways, my own thoughts, and forgive me for everything I have done, and I now trust your way. But keep that verse in mind. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So keep coming to church. Keep listening to who Jesus is. And also be willing to ask other Christians, how has Jesus changed your life? You know, maybe this is a challenge for us Christians in the room. How would we answer that question? 
about how much difference Christ makes in your life right now? Would we be able to say that we're seeing Jesus as the ultimate satisfaction? Or is our joy sometimes concealed because of our joy for other things? Maybe we're starting to look a bit too much like the world because we're also easily sucked in by the latest fad or craze or iPhone or holiday that people don't notice our love for Jesus. And are we willing to make bold steps for him? Those which are just not going to make sense to the rest of this world. And trust that God's ways are so much higher than ours. You see, one of the greatest ways we can show our friends how crucial it is to follow Jesus is by firstly following him wholeheartedly yourself. Not only trying to show them that the Bible is true by inviting them to church, but is it true from looking at your life? Where is your satisfaction? So I guess to sum this all up, this passage is saying, come. If you're hungry, thirsty, don't keep laboring after things which do not satisfy. Abandon your own ways and thoughts. Listen to God's word. It brings life, it brings forgiveness, and it's free. I want to leave you with these final words from Jesus in John chapter 4 at the well in Samaria. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you, Lord, that it is satisfying. And we are sorry for the ways that we uh, seek after our own thoughts and ways. Uh, We don't see it as the ultimate joy and satisfaction. I pray that you'd help us to be bold, um, to make steps for you, uh, that you'd help us to be bold in making this a priority in our life and living your ways even when it's not popular and not comfortable. We thank you for the abundant forgiveness and compassion that is only made possible because of what your son Jesus has done. And would we come to him um, for life and forgiveness? Amen.